Hello and welcome to the Amateur Austenite. My name is Frances Duncan. I am an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand. Today we're going to be discussing Chapter 33 of Pride and Prejudice with my very special guest, my sister Paula. Hello. So in Chapter 33, Colonel Fitzwilliam reveals Darcy separated Jane and Bingley and Lizzie gets a headache. And there's lots of accidentally walking into people in the woods. Yeah, so Mr. Darcy thinks that she's in, thinks that Elizabeth is interested in him because she takes care to tell him that this is her favourite walk and he thinks, oh good, so then she's telling me to come and meet her here more often. And he's feeling her out. Odd, unconnected questions about her pleasure at being at Huntsford, her love of solitary walks and her opinions of Mr. and Mrs. Collins' happiness. And then he seemed to expect that whenever she came into Kent again, she would be staying at Rosings. Yeah, it's quite funny. It reminds me of being at high school, actually, and um, people walking past where they knew the person that they liked was having lunch. You know, it's that kind of thing. But, of course, he's got more guts and is also far more eloquent than teenage boys uh, ever were. Um, Well, that's arguable. (laughs) That's so true. But he does talk to her. It's not like he just walks past and waves at her. He actually stops and he engages her in conversation and then it says something or rather about him then walking with her back the way she was going. Yeah. He actually thought it necessary to turn back and walk with her. He never said a great deal, nor did she give herself the trouble of talking or of listening much. And it's interesting that you say he thinks that she's interested by her letting him know where she walks because my reading of it is that he asks because he wants to know how to seek her out and doesn't really think that that's what she's saying but it could be either way I think it could be but I think he's got the sort of he's used to being chased by women so he thinks that she's going to be interested regardless yeah and and then later on it's obvious that he just doesn't get that anyone could possibly turn him down there's the evidence here that they come every year. Colonel Fitzwilliam says, I've been making a tour of the park as I generally do every year. Um, and that was one of the things we were talking about a couple of episodes ago. We were thinking that they came, that this was a yearly visit that they do. And here's the evidence of that. Yes. And it's interesting that his relationship with Elizabeth also moves on in this chapter. So it seems to be a chapter about her relationship with these two men where Neither of them, or none of them, all three of them, say nothing out loud about the relationship, but everything is sort of talked around. Yeah, because Colonel Fitzwilliam brings up that I have to marry for money, and that's one of the themes that keeps cropping up in this book, marrying for money. And Lizzie's not offended by this. She actually thinks, is this meant for me? Yeah, and that's what she was like with uh, Wickham as well when he was chasing Miss King, that's right, with her money. And it's the same thing here. So it's obviously something that she sees as okay, chasing someone for money. And two things to do with that. First of all, I think it's a little bit ironic because she's she looks down, I guess, on Charlotte. Who married for money. Yeah, and, you know, for a comfortable position. And she thinks that's not okay. And she turns Mr. Collins down herself because she doesn't want to marry him for money. But then maybe if he hadn't been so ridiculous, she may have married someone else for money. But no, she says she wants to marry for love. Well, does she say she wants to marry for love? 
Have we seen that in the text or is that only from the movie? Ooh, you could be right. I don't know. I will have to go search that one. But I think she at least wants someone that she can respect. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Someone she can respect. And she doesn't have any respect for uh, Mr. Collins. So, yeah, there's the irony there that she's down on Charlotte for what Charlotte does. But then she is her best friend and perhaps didn't expect it from her. And she thinks it's okay for Wickham and for um, Colonel Fitzwilliam. So it's okay for the men, but it's not okay for the woman. And then the other thing is that in today's society, when anyone studies Austen, people go on and on about how women in those days had no power because they had to marry for money. Mm-hmm. And I think it's often forgotten that actually money was power Nobody had power unless they had money, regardless of their sex. Men had to marry for money as well, and that's, I think, something to think about when we study these novels. Yeah, that's true, because we so often focus on the fact that it's the woman, but here we have two men, Wickham and Fitzwilliam, who don't have money, and they do need to marry for it. Absolutely. And women did, of course, have, have far less power than men. You know, we were talking earlier about how poor uh, Georgiana or Georgie Nana, as my son calls her, um, has these two men who look after her. They're called her... Guardians. Guardians. Whereas um, that wouldn't happen to a man. So women did have less power, but still, men still did have to marry for money. We learn that Darcy has been putting off leaving Kent so he can spend more time with Elizabeth, we assume... And Lizzie says in response, I do not know anybody who seems more to enjoy the power of doing what he likes than Mr. Darcy, which is interesting as we're just talking about how how women don't have the power to do what they like. And she calls out uh, Colonel Fitzwilliam on that, actually. A little bit that they're talking about marrying for money. Because he's not the oldest, therefore he doesn't get the family money. And she says, now seriously, what have you ever known of self-denial or dependence? When have you been prevented by want of money from doing whatever you chose or procuring anything you had a fancy for? And that's partly because of his family, but also because he is a man. Yeah. We learned that Miss Darcy is tractable and we had to look up what that meant. That means easy to control or influence. Yet she did try to elope. So there's Not that kind of, we know that at this point in the book. No, we don't. But there's two kind of meanings to that. She's easy for them to look after, but also easily led. And that's, of course, why Wickham, Wickham was able to um, convince her to elope with him. Not that we know this yet. Spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers. So Fitzwilliam tells Lizzie that Darcy was part of the reason that Jane and Bingley separated. And is it possible that Fitzwilliam was trying to make Darcy look good? Do we think that Fitzwilliam knows that Darcy likes Elizabeth? I don't know. He keeps his cards pretty close to his chest, doesn't he? Mr. Darcy? Yes. And when you think to his relationship with Mr. Bingley, they're supposed to be really good friends, yet they never really have a full and frank discussion, it sounds like. I mean, obviously we don't know. We don't get scenes with them, but it doesn't sound like they have full and frank discussions about Bingley's real feelings for Jane or Darcy's simmering feelings for Elizabeth but I think there's a lot of people in this time or at least in this book that we're getting evidence that they don't talk about their feelings Mm. well they're British aristocracy aren't they 
Yeah, that says something plus the time period. You're right. Yeah, but they I just don't talk about their feelings. I think Fitzwilliam just likes to chatter. So in the last chapter, we saw him chattering away with Elizabeth at the pianoforte. And I just think he likes to chatter. And I think that he was just saying it because he had this information and he likes to chatter with Elizabeth. He obviously quite likes her. It says that in the novel. And of course, he has absolutely no idea that he's talking about Elizabeth's family. Otherwise, I imagine he wouldn't have said it. Because he no, does like there's her. no way he would have said it. Yeah. There is no way he can get Darcy in the shit. He likes Elizabeth. That's, that's definite because it says it in the text. Does Darcy know that Fitzwilliam likes Elizabeth? Don't know. And does Fitzwilliam know that Darcy likes Elizabeth? I'm glad we're not using his first name because then we'll be saying Fitzwilliam and Fitzwilliam. <laughs> just to make things more complicated so we've got this little triangle but Fitzwilliam obviously in this chapter bows out because he says he needs to marry for money and he makes it very clear and I think that's quite gallant of him actually because he's perhaps realised that he may have led Elizabeth on with all their chattering yeah Yeah. sorry about the beeping we just had to get a cake out of the oven (laughs) because we're very multitasking well, yeah. I was going to say something about us being perfect women, but in those Domestic. days, those women didn't make cakes. It was the cooks that made the cakes. We would have been the, the lower class. Probably. Based on our ancestry, anyway. Where were we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, as I was getting the cake out of the oven, I was wondering aloud about Austin using uh, Colonel Fitzwilliam as a way of letting Elizabeth know something more about Darcy and, of course, increasing her hatred for him prior to what happens in, I think, the next chapter. Yeah, it is the next chapter where it all goes down. So I think, you know, that was definitely a literary device or a little trick that um, Austin used to prepare us for what happens next or just give us not prepare us really just give us some more information it really amps up elizabeth's dislike before he declares his love though which is just great it makes for a more explosive scene oh absolutely it's great i mean i love the way that uh mr collins is more worried about how Lady Catherine de Berg is going to be insulted by Elizabeth not coming for a cup of tea than Elizabeth's feelings or how, you know, her health. wellness. Yeah. yeah. Wellness, that's such a 21st century word. Is it? Isn't it? Health and wellness. Yeah, I guess it is. It says, there could not exist in the world two men over whom Mr. Darcy could have such boundless influence. I love that boundless influence, but that's how Elizabeth works out. It must be Mr. Bingley. That, because it's never explicitly said, Colonel Fitzwilliam says, I'm only assuming it's Mr. Bingley. He can't say it actually is. But Elizabeth doesn't know, you know. He could have other friends, because he's quite rich and... um also seems to have a demeanour where people do uh, bow to his opinion, which probably he gets from Lady Catherine de Berg. Maybe it's a, a family trait? Possibly. Oh. I mean, the aristocracy, they're used to it. Are they blood-related? Yes. His mother and her are sisters. Ah, yes. So Lady maybe, Anne Darcy and Lady Catherine de Berg. Maybe it's just uh, built into their DNA. 
to feel that they can tell everybody how to do things. So Lizzie's thinking about what Colonel Fitzwilliam has said, and she said there are strong objections against the lady, and those were probably were one uncle who was a country attorney and another who was in business in London. To Jane herself, there could be no possibility of objection. All love, good loveliness and goodness as she is. But when she thought of her mother, indeed, her confidence gave way a little. But she decides that it's all to do with Darcy's pride and partly by the wish of retaining Mr. Bingley for his sister, which she is correct about. Yeah, but I think that she um, has this prejudice against him. Oh, we got pride and prejudice in there. But she has this prejudice against him, therefore that's how she views his actions. And she sort of goes, oh yeah, my mother, um, but then just jumps over that. I mean, her mother is ridiculous. And I can imagine that nobody's really going to want to have to be related to her or continue to have to see her always. I mean, men always have a bit of issue with their mothers-in-laws, don't they? That's the stereotype. That's the stereotype. But, yeah, having her as a mother-in-law would be a bit of a nightmare. Yes. And is it his pride? I mean, I can understand not wanting to have Bingley stuck with Mrs. Bennett as his mother-in-law the rest of his life. But that's kind of Bingley's choice. Yes, but this is Darcy, isn't it? Who knows best for everybody. But we learn later why he did it. You mean because of his sister? But also he says that he doesn't think that Jane was really... Oh, there is that too. And I think that Elizabeth has misinterpreted his actions because she dislikes him so much. Uh, I like this chapter. Was it funny? No, but it was intriguing because you've got this little love triangle thing going on that isn't a love triangle and nobody says anything but they do say something um it's sort of a bit soap opera like but uh played very stoically maybe that's not the right word very straight very british upper class aristocracy we do not talk about our feelings exactly exactly and why should we take our feelings into account you know, it shouldn't it shouldn't be something that we think about. Anyway, I enjoyed this chapter. Very good. And I wish her on. I'm sorry. <laughs> and that is our summary of Chapter 33 of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Thank you for listening. My name is Frances Duncan. You can find me at francisduncanwrites.com and on Twitter at Francis underscore Duncan. Thank you for listening and we wish you happy reading. Just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now. I haven't actually got merch with my face on it. That seems a little weird to me. But if you really want it, let me know and I'll do that. There's merch of the Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand's logo, uh, some Jane Austen merch, and some Pride and Prejudice Heavily Pride-focused merch too. It's on Redbubble and the link is in the notes. Happy buying!